Welcome to the Final Draft Great Conversations podcast. Today's great conversation is with Eliza Riley. The Final Draft Great Conversations podcast is all about books, writing, and literary culture. I'm Andrew Popel. Every week I broadcast Final Draft from the studios of 2ACR in Sydney. At Final Draft, we're dedicated to exploring Australian writing, from debut authors to household names. Every week we look into the issues that drive our storytelling and help you discover more from the books you love. These are the stories that make us who we are. 2SER broadcasts from the lands of the Gadigal people of the Eora Nation. I'm recording on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. I want to acknowledge the traditional owners of those lands, pay my respects to their ongoing connection to their lands. These are unceded lands, and treaty has never been made with Australia's first people. Now, with International Women's Day recently being marked on March 8, it was impossible to go past Eliza Riley's new book, Sheila's. With the tagline, Badass Women of Australian History, Sheila's promises to kick down the doors of history classrooms, rip the stale, pale and male textbooks from your hands, delivering a powerful hit of the women the chroniclers of history often forget or relegate to the footnotes. Featuring more than a dozen women across a century of Australian history, Sheila's is all the inspiration you need to go out and change your world for the better. So join me and join Eliza as we discover Sheila's Badass Women of Australian History. It is a huge pleasure to be welcoming my next guest. Eliza Riley is an award-winning writer, director, performer, and perhaps most importantly, community radio legend, albeit on FBI, but we love those guys. Her writing has featured, as has she, across screen and stage, but here on Final Draft, we love a good book. So, it is extremely exciting that Eliza has released one of those, adding to her impressive resume. I've said too much. Eliza, welcome. Thanks so much for joining us today on the show. Let the record show that I only wrote this book to get on Final Draft, you know? It was the one show that I was like, I must get on that. But I wasn't a book writer, but now I am. Now now you've just ticked another box. Yes. And and thank God, because Sheila's is out there, like it's absolutely ticking so many boxes in terms of redressing history, giving a cracking narrative, like turning pages and looking beautiful. We might talk later about how beautiful this book is, mm-hmm. but let's start with the content because that's kind of, that's why people are picking up books. <laughs> I think. That insight, that insight is why we're here in Final Draft. Yeah, if you're not picking up a book to read it, it's kind of like wearing, wearing you know, the frames without the glasses. You just, it's just there, okay. it's an image thing. Well, Alice in Alice in Wonderland was like, why are you reading those books? Yeah, but she was eating all sorts of dodgy things too. Like, <laughs> she's a 50-50 role model. She, oh, my God. I saw her in Newtown the other day. She was cooked. She, that Alice in Wonderland, she was going through portals. <laughs> my God. And the cats around Newtown are definitely Cheshire. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> yes, Definitely. All right, hey, you have you have a book too that we were going to talk about. That what's it called again? Sheila's. It's called Sheila's Badass Women of Australian History, and it's out with Pam McMillan. So you are promising the reader badass women of Australian history, and I feel like I feel like we're taught history as these series of things that absolutely definitely happened. And if we're lucky, like we might go on and we, we, we learn, we're taught to kind of think critically about history and maybe even, you know, we put a bit of a philosophical framework on it, like, you know, a bit of post-Furby structuralism. <laughs> and, and then our deep thoughts um, about history get a little bit deeper. But that still often leaves these really big gaps. 
And lots of people, you know, they once filled those gaps. These were people that were alive once and maybe didn't get written down or just didn't get noticed. Mm-hmm. What problems did you see in the ways that we tell history that you wanted to address in Sheila's? Well, a lot of the problems that we have and how people slip through the cracks and how, you know, for this for this book, for Sheila's, how um, women slip through the cracks, are a lot to do with, like, I found a lot of, like, logistical, like, practical elements. You know, I if I was to answer that question with all the good faith in my heart for the patriarch, <laughs> I would say that, like, the ink was super expensive. Ink is still super expensive. So at the end of the day, if you were a male newspaper editor who had to put someone's name down, you would be like, well, I'm going to put his name down, not her name down. And no one's going to know who she is. So I better reference her as the husband in the husband's name so that everyone knows for sure who she is. Like it might've been something that they felt was like the thing, the proper thing to do, because if they just said the woman's name, then she'd be definitely lost to time. But if you hitch your wagon to a bloke, um, but then also like in high school, I didn't know about so many amazing women, just like a lot of, I guess, Australians in history classes, but also like the curriculums dictated by government bodies. And also there's not enough time in the day to, uh, to talk about all the amazing things. That's why I wrote the book. And that's why you don't need to go to history class. You just need to buy my book and then ding, ding, problem solved. But it is very like unfortunate. There is, I mean, and there is absolutely something to that, like skipping history class and kind of reading between the lines, because as well as the incredible uh, women that you feature in Sheila's, you also note that there is a lot that's missing from that, I guess, history class record that we're told, including um, things like First Nations history yeah. And these are these are the things that I mean I I I never really know is that we we want to forget or everyone you talk about was a disruptor. These were <laughs> not people that were just like, hey, everything's fine and let's make yeah. it a wee bit finer. Is it maybe a little bit of that disruption and that forgetting that's an active process rather than just a passive one? I mean, I mean, I feel like well. I mean, like the the fact that Ned Kelly has like eleven films and TV shows written about him. There's probably one being made as we speak, Andrew. Like real talk. There's there's so much abundance of these like male figures of history, and there's so much content around them. And I mean, I in writing the book, I never wanted to take away any of the spaces of the Don Bradmans and the Ned Kellys and that prime minister that does shoeys at the sports games. Like I I didn't want to take away from them, but I just did want to give more variety. Like not everyone connects with Ned Kelly. I didn't like, I was like, good for you, dude. But, and so, but who am I? Who who are the heroines in Australia Mm. other than Lara Bingle, which, you know, she's my hero, but like who are the outside 
workers who were the quote unquote bad actors that really shuffled the deck. Um, and I couldn't really recall any. And so that's what Sheila's is, is trying to give the gift of expanding people's, the cultural iconography that we all have living in this country. I don't know why, but when, when you were talking before, my brain just immediately went to, can Timothy Chalamet even grow a beard? Like, are those, <laughs> are those, are those shoulders going to be able to hold the helmet? I, it's just like, Ned Kelly always seems to oh, be playing. Oh, is play. he playing Ned Kelly? God knows. No, I'm just, I'm, I'm, oh. I'm fan casting. I'm fan casting. <laughs> oh my God, dude, my heart just stopped. I was like, wait, Meanwhile, what? Because I can see that. I can totally see that. Timothy Chalamet being like, Hey man, put down the gun or whatever he, however he speaks. I, I love Timothy Shumway, but holy moly, you scared me because that sounds so, that should have happened already. It's always the really skinny male leads like um, Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger. Mick Jagger um, hey, guys, no, we're not talking yeah. about Ray Kelly. We no, are not we're not. That. We're absolutely <laughs> not. Let's, let's fan cast Sassy Ronan as Mel Thornton. Or, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, my God. That would be amazing. She would be awesome. Call let's, me. Let's just get something uh, straight, though. See, the name of the book is Sheila's. Now, my, my nan's name was Sheila. And <gasps> I, yeah. And I, I Google learned uh, just last night <laughs> that Sheila means heavenly by way of kind of the Romans and Latin and then the Gauls through to the Irish. Um, but I don't think I that. that's what you're talking about when you say Sheila's. Why did you want to name your book for this undoubtedly beautiful but not uncontroversial name? Um. Well, when we first did the web series Sheila's, it was just a name that we just thought was like a really good group, of, a group of girls that, you know, you wanted to embolden them with a, a with a, a different name. You know, they're not ladies. They're not women. They're a particular type of um, person, a person who like just works against the system, who stands up for what they think is the right thing to do, with dire consequences uh, and also just something that's very Australian that is undoubtedly Australian. And Sheila's was like the perfect word for that. Um, It does mean heavenly now that I know that, but also um, I came to learn that in the 19, in wartime, the word Sheila's was not, was what you would call say like a sex worker or a girl who like a bar fly, and yeah, and if you speak to any boomer men in your vicinity, uh, first off, my condolences. Oh, that was a sick burn. But also, um, they will be like Sheila's. Why do you want to be called a Sheila? And I guess I just within that net, it's not the important thing, but within that, I want to also just sort of lightly question, like, well, why don't you want women to be behaving in a certain way? Like, why is that? the thing not to do and just lightly posing these questions I think is a really cool thing for a book like Sheila's to do. We'll chuck a content warning in for the boomers out there and shout out to my <laughs> shout out to my dad who, for whom Sheila was just, dad. it was his mum-in-law. <laughs> cool. uh, I could, I'm just, I'm going to have to ask him that next time we have dinner. <laughs> oh yeah, do. Now, the way you present, so you're writing, you present source material with liberal doses of commentary and analysis, um, which I think is is what all good history 
should do. We should have brains on our shoulders to kind of be figuring this stuff out and not just going, please fill me with your facts. Mm. You also, you avoid kind of the po-faced seriousness of many historical tomes when they're po-faced, they're tomes. Um, would you say, would you say you're irreverently reverent or are you more irreverently <laughs> irreverent writer? Oh, um, <laughs> I mean, um, irreverently reverent. <laughs> yeah, good. Okay. Cheers. I mean, I don't know. I, I feel like it was really to go into historical nonfiction. It was super important to me to actually um, shove and squeeze in as many of those primary sources that I found in the book. Mm. Say, like, if you flick through the pages of the book, you'll actually see sort of the um, the the actual articles that I've lifted from and the, the photos that was also just to be able to hold the reader's hand because there's nothing I make up. Like Mm. the history is extremely wild and shocking. And so I really wanted it to be clear for the reader when I was joking and when I was doing a commentary or when I was imagining and history and the facts Mm. just to hold their hand a bit and to know like it actually all did happen. But also I found that it was very historical nonfiction. I I feel like kind of strongly about it. And it sort of makes me mad when like historical nonfiction writers put words in their subjects mouths and like put feelings and thoughts in their heads and Mm. like actually don't, don't delineate of like, I'm just imagining that this is what um, such and such was saying and thinking. Like, they don't say that. They actually, like, just pass it off as a quote. And that made me feel like I really didn't want to do that for Sheila's. Like, if, yeah, if I do not put, I do not put any, like, thoughts in their heads or words in their mouths. Like, they don't need that embellishment, in my opinion. Like, my opinion is in the story. Like I'm the one telling their story for sure, but I didn't want to be like, I don't know, put them in clothes that they definitely wouldn't be as being like, or, or describe them in ways that I hadn't seen them. It just, it, for me, it was like, it almost, um, you know, they don't need that. Their story is of value, whether I have one fact or a million. It's absolutely like, I mean, it's very clear where you are in the narrative. And I, I think that what that does is it also gives us space. Um, the reader can choose to identify with your opinions, but because you also clearly let us know that if we, if we want to vary, you know, there's, there's, we know that we're not challenging the, uh, and scare quotes again, historical fact. You yeah. also, I, I guess also dealing with source material and maybe, maybe other historians have this um, in, in harder ways. Like there are certain, uh, if you want to write American history, there are certain words that they were real fans of 50 to a hundred years ago that you just, you can't yeah. be dropping in a book now, but you yeah. also, you have to deal with some really, really off descriptions of, of women and yeah. You counter that. You counter that also with your own feelings and a modern spin on it. Like, was it really important that you com- like communicated to readers in a language that they were going to speak, not just this language of the source material? Well, yeah, because also there's so much. Um, I feel like important context. <clears throat> 
like behind, I, I wanted to sort of, um, I mean, the words that the language that they use is really offensive, but also it's nothing that like a woman or like a first nations woman or a, um, a differently abled woman, like they all understand that this rhetoric exists and I wanted to be super honest. I wanted to like give them the information. I didn't want to, um, make anything in a binary. I wanted to be able to say like, I don't know what to do with this. Like I I find this really offensive and I get really sad when I read this. I didn't want to wrap it up in a nice little bow and a box and give it to the reader. I wanted them to feel like they were on this story with me as I was learning it because that's exactly what happened. You know, I wrote it in a very short amount of time and there's a lot of new Sheila's and it would be exactly how I would speak to my mates at the pub at the end of the day, being like, can you believe this? And then just told them the story. We've talked about all of these Sheilas. We, we've, we've acknowledged that they're not going to be well known to a lot of people. Like I, I think when I saw the original web series, only one or two names were even vaguely familiar. It's not fair to pick favourites. But is there a <laughs> Sheila that you, like if you are, you, you know, you're down at the pub with some friends, you, you would drop into conversation to hook any book-loving fence-sitters on, on reading the badass women of Australian history? Hmm. It would de- depend who my victim was, the poor person sitting on the other side of the table. But I think that Marianne Bug, who is a First Nations bushranger, who was the most amazing woman ever, and she was a total badass, um, that she would be someone that I feel like is perfect for everyone today. Like it gets me sort of confused. I'm like, if we love bushrangers so much, if we just can't get enough of these bushrangers in Australia, then you should definitely look at Marianne Bug. She is awesome. And she was, she was so good at bushranging. She was so good at like killing people and robbing people and riding on horseback that she wasn't ever like really known because she was so good at going undetected from the police, from the government. Like, so it's like maybe the Ned Kellys and the Captain Thunderbolts weren't that competent because they got their names in a lot of papers, which is not the idea if you're trying to be like a sleuthy criminal. Yeah, if you're going to be a good criminal, you don't want to get caught. Like these exactly, guys yeah. Caught. So, so the mere fact she doesn't have a million monuments to her, I'm like, you probably wanted that you protected your 13 children and she lived to the age of 70 which is like today a rare stat for a first nations woman you know and it's like this is in the 1880s and it just goes to show like sheilas and women do things differently our wins and our successes look very different to the way that the boys or the patriarch think that a win should look like and I love that she does that. Yeah, like what's what's better than dying in a shootout in your 30s with the police, <laughs> dying at home with your grandkids? Yes, and then like after, uh, yeah, like she, she, her boyfriend or her, her lover was a, a bush ranger called Captain Thunderbolt, which he has a highway named after him. He has a pie named after him. He has a bold Shiraz named after him. He has a, like he, he's like, oh my God, just Google Urella 
Mm. You, yeah, on a map. And it's like Captain Thunderbolt monuments and pins everywhere. And, uh, yeah, they hung out together, but it, she dumped him, which I'm like, thank God, girl, good choice. And he didn't last long after that. He was shot in the face. <laughs> soon after, sorry, I don't mean to laugh. <laughs> he was shot in the face. He's over it now. Well, it's just the ultimate, like, mm. ex-revenge story. Yeah. You know, like, what's better than, like, drop dropping that guy that everyone was like, that guy's not good for you, you should drop him, mm. you're better than that. She drops him, he gets shot in the face, and then she never speaks of him ever again. Mm. Like, again. And, and we, we will be clear, she didn't shoot him in the face. Like, she was the <laughs> thing that was... She prevented him from getting shot in the face yes. for many, many years. And yes. then he was all like, oh, which end of the gun am I supposed to walk towards? Yes, exactly. Mm. He was hunted down and found by the cops, like, as soon as Marianne Bug left. He's like, I don't need you. I can do this all myself. And turns out he definitely couldn't, and he totally took her for granted. One thing I got from one thing I got from the book was Marianne was an extremely literate person. Yeah, old mate Thunderbolt wasn't. And I've just got this idea that you know, like Bush Rangers were terminally in need of shaving a haircut, which is you know. Rich me saying, only Eliza can see me right now. But like, I, I feel like you know, he's just like, which ones? Which ones the barber? Which ones? You know, and he's walked into the police station. He's just like, that looks like the barber. Those men are all very clean. Yeah, imagine mm. the most crusty, mm. greasy guy that you found at the Lansdowne Hotel, and that's kind of like mm. sort of getting close to who Captain Thunderbolt was. Um, yeah, he needed a little nap. And just to lie down, he just needed to be quiet. Meanwhile, we we need to we need to shut up about the guy that couldn't shower, and get, like I could talk about the ethics of naming a pie with thunder in it. Like that's <laughs> there's something there's something off there. But back to these incredible Sheilas, and look, it feels like so the book takes us through history, takes us through the I guess the the history of the Australian colony up until about the eighties. Yeah, 1880s to the 1980s. Which is a good, that's a good round number, a good chunk of history. It feels oh, I loved like, it too. I was like, bang, done, book finished, the end. Let's, yep, to print. It feels like, it feels like now that we live in a time that has much need of Sheila's. And the women, women you chronicle in your book, they made history and then they subsequently got out, got left out of it because they rocked apple carts. They spoke out of turn. They handcuffed themselves to things. They mm. broke they broke these unjust rules to make sure those rules got changed. Mm. And they didn't they didn't just smile for the sake of being polite. Have things changed enough or do we need Sheila's to be like taking the reins and leading us out of the shitstorm of the last few years? <laughs> well, a lot of you know, I mean I don't think say like the media in some ways that they portray and write about women. I don't, I don't like that kind of hasn't changed. Like a lot of, you'll still see women being called crazy or, mm. you know, that sort of thing that they did back a hundred years ago. Um, but also women haven't changed. And so it's, that gives me so much hope and I'm not worried at all. This is like, I mean, I'm sort of like, there are women in this world. We'll be fine. Like mm. it's all good. I mean, this shitstorm it's a hard thing to interact with because like from writing about the 1880s all the way to the 1980s, all I see is like hope and progression. Mm. And I also see how like 
uh, easy it is to bring about such major changes, but you do need a Sheila. You do need someone who is willing to piss people off, to not be the good girl, to really be, to really like risk a lot, to risk their lives, to risk their safety um, and to risk their reputation, to just really blow it all up in, you know, the quest for whatever they want. And a lot of these women weren't trying to quote unquote change the world. Like most of, that's what I love about it. These women weren't like out for doing anything other than for themselves. They were selfish Sheilas and I love that. And they like, while they were being, you know, doing something for themselves, they were also making life so much better for the rest of us. So like, you don't have to be, you don't like, I I love that a lot of them aren't social justice warriors. They just wanted like to do whatever they wanted to do. They wanted to kill Nazis or they wanted to like, I don't know, get some money or they wanted to like a better job for themselves. And I love that. And that's like a Sheila to me that you don't have to be like putting your neck on the line for humanity because like a lot of blokes don't do that and they change the world. I mean, and even worse, I think we're, we're kind of full to the brim now of blokes who have this idea that they're going to change the world and leave oh. their mark on it. And yeah. yeah, we need more people who are just kind of like, I want to change my little corner. I'm going to have Correct. a drink there and I'm going to go for a swim in something that is not yes. essentially an anchor. Yes. And they weren't doing it. Like I feel so um, honored, but the importance of telling their story, because like a lot of them were like, say like Laws Bonnie, she was the first woman to fly from Sydney. I mean, Brisbane to London because she wanted to. And her name, she's not really celebrated because she was like, oh, I don't need that. I just wanted to do it for myself. And I feel like that was, that's such a cool thing. Like you don't have to be seen as doing the quote right thing to be a Sheila. Mm. You just got to be doing whatever you want to do. Eliza, this is a gorgeous book. I'm not going to leave this, this chat without asking, like, who did you have to kill to make this book so gorgeous? <laughs> like it's, it's. There's some so serious good. folio society shit going on here. Yeah, the um it's actually a first time uh hold on. Sorry. Okay. Sorry. The book is beautiful. It's actually all of that graphic design by with with all that graphic design was from a first time illustrator for books. Her name is Reg Abos and she's from like studio Regina. She's from Melbourne. Uh, and that was all sort of Pan McMillan and my editor, Kate Blake. It was all women who made this book. And so not only am I a first time author, Reg was a first time illustrator. So working with her was amazing because like we got our own little runs on the board. We're also was, we're doing things that we really love to do for the first time, uh, which was so cool in, you know, in the, in our careers. 
But a lot of the the stuff is source material that are creative commons that anyone can sort of find and use uh, that was super important to me. Like researching history is so visual. There are so many beautiful sources and design elements that are just there waiting to be utilised. Um, and the book is just, I agree, I didn't know it was going to be that beautiful. And I was like, whoa, my gosh, this is not a chuck in the bottom of your beach bag and like run it through the forest. (laughs) It's like a coffee table book. It's like a gift book. It is so beautiful. I was stunned when I saw it. Yeah. This book, this book is going to do some damage. If you fall asleep reading over your head, it is. It's hardcover. It is hardcover. It is incredible. It is so, so beautifully written and it's so accessible to discover something that really, I mean, like, there's a little bit of it where, like, it's 2022. Why the hell are we only just discovering this right now? But, hey, Eliza, thank you so much because if anyone was going to bring it to us, I'm glad it was you. Stop it. Can you tell that to my mum? That's such a nice thing to say. Well, it's a, it was an absolute pleasure to bring you the Sheilas and hopefully there will be many, many more Sheilas in the pipeline. Absolutely. Sheila's Badass Women of Australian History is the book we are talking about. Its author, Eliza Riley, is with me right now. And there are so many incredible Sheila's to discover and inspire. And yeah, go out, read it, become the next Sheila. Yes. God knows we need it. Yes, yes, and then and then and then like uh DM me telling me what you've done. That's it for this great conversation with Eliza Riley. Eliza's new book is Sheila's Badass Women of Australian History. It's out now from Pan Macmillan. Great Conversations is recorded on the lands of the Darug and Gunungurra people. The show is produced and presented by Andrew Popel. Stay in touch. You can find us on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook. Be great to hear from you. Look for the tag at Final Draft 2SER. Subscribing your podcast app, it means a new great conversation, sometimes two and always bonuses every week. My name is Andrew Popel. I'll be back next week with more great conversations from Final Draft. Till then, happy reading. Bye now.